You're listening to the Buildify Method Podcast, where we're all about mindset, systems, and profit. As a nationally recognized business consultant, coach, and speaker, your host, Aaron Keith, is passionate about supporting the entrepreneur community by sharing his knowledge gained from coaching over 10,000 entrepreneurs in nearly 20 years at companies ranging from billion-dollar enterprises and celebrities all the way to Main Street and small startups. Each Buildisode's blunt, no-bullshit conversation is led by Aaron along with his co-host, Ryan Coyne, a veteran tech consultant and nationally recognized speaker. Each week, Aaron and Ryan deconstruct mental and physical aspects of the topics that challenge all successful entrepreneurs, while also providing coaching, insight, and specific advice on distinctions that affect all growth-minded entrepreneurs. So listen up. It's time to work on your business, not just in your business. Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name's Aaron Keith, and I want to welcome you all to the Buildify Method podcast. I'm joined today by my co-host, Ryan Coyne, and we have a special guest that we're going to be introducing in just a few minutes. That's right, Aaron. Today is a very, very special edition of the Buildify Method podcast. It's officially a Titans episode where we bring on world-class CEOs and entrepreneurs and talk about key topics and distinctions that are specific to the most elite part of the entrepreneur space. Today, we have a special guest with us, Jacob Sudoff. Jacob is a friend. He's a colleague. We've known each other for quite a while, and Jacob has a massive resume of being a serial entrepreneur. So Jacob, first of all, welcome to the Buildify Method, and please tell us, tell the listeners a little bit about who you are, so that as we get into the content today, they'll have a better understanding of why you have some of the advice and opinions that you do. Sure. Well, thank you both, Ryan and Aaron. I really appreciate it, and and I'm excited to be on the show. So, um, Thank you for the opportunity. But um, yeah, give you a little background on myself is, you know, I started my entrepreneurship while in high school. My first business was actually, uh, I used to, you know, uh, do lift kits and speak sound systems and sell them off to all my, uh, my cohorts in, in high school. And um, it was called Southern Sound. I'll never forget it. My very first business with a good friend of mine. So, you know, we all used to you know, mudding and all that kind of fun stuff, you know, back in those days. I love it. But, uh, but yeah, so my first business and then you know, I, you know, end up, you know, I used to ride horses and uh, Arabian horses and end up finding that meeting this broker that sold these multi-million dollar homes and castles around the world. And it just hooked me. And so I worked with, for her as a work program in high school and then got my, you know, and just real estate just kind of, uh, you know, put its hooks in me. So I've been in real estate since I was uh, 16 in high school. Um, and started in a little tiny town, um, you know, Corpus Christi, uh, Texas. And um, really kind of built up a, or a, you know, being the, you know, um, one of the top residential and commercial brokerages in that city. In 2010, I decided to move to the great city of Houston. And, you know, it was time to get moved to the big leagues. And it was, I think, a perfect um, opportunity and timing. You know, sometimes everything's about timing. And, uh, you know, so things were going great. And so as I got up here, I decided I wanted to change my business model from being a traditional real estate broker um, into having more of a business model that allowed me to have more work-life balance. And so I went after new construction and uh, condominiums, new builders, um, developments, those kind of things. But as I got into that space and breaking into a new market, you know, you kind of find out that there's a lot of challenges and a lot of old relationships and, and uh, relationships that are hard to break. Um, and being new in the marketplace, 
um, you know, I had to come up with a my own way of doing it. And so, you know, we started in essence identifying all the different types of resources and 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 um, and uh, opportunities. I like to say, um, or issues, you know, hurdles to overcome to be able to really break in the market. And you know, and so what we ended up doing was just. You know, as we found a problem, we'd either start a new company to, to solve it or we would actually, you know, try to overcome it with our existing companies. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, you know, prior to moving to Houston, I looked at New York, you know, Chicago, Atlanta, Dallas, Austin, you know, Miami. I chose Houston because I felt like it was the easiest market to penetrate and it was one of the largest markets in the industry. And I felt like there was a lot of opportunity here. So, you know, doing my homework, researching it. Um, decided that, you know, Houston really had the, you know, and I, I liked the, the trajectory of where the city was going and the state. So, um, so we ended up, um, you know, building a, a new development uh, brokerage uh, focused on just new construction. I had to find a niche in the marketplace. And so we, we um, you know, focused us just solely on new construction, um, which I had not done in my previous past. Um, and, you know, and we took it in 10 years to take over 85% of the condo market of Houston. And we also end up doing, you know, the number one in new construction luxury sales in Houston as well. Um, but as we were doing that, we also, um, as the, whenever we first broke in the market in 2010, one of the first things builder said to me is, well, if you can find me equity, um, then you got my listings. So we started a private equity firm. And for some reason, I was good at raising money. And uh, so started raising money to get the listings and, uh, and connecting investors, uh, you know, uh, family offices. You know, I, I always say to folks, there's a difference between sort of like, um, you know, country club money versus institutional family money. And uh, so sense. we were able to connect with all of that. So we built a private equity firm, we found out that these guys need help on land. So and land development and kind of, um, you know, being able to, you know, figure out how to make something work. So we ended up buying uh, one of the, uh, largest uh, land planning firms here in Houston. Um, architecture, you know, very important. We ended up buying into an architecture firm. And then the late, the um, one of the most recent ones was, it was three years ago, we ended up, um, you know, as we were building condos, there, we determined there's such a racket in the procurement game on all of our, of all of our build, um, buildings and projects. And so, so, I mean, it's crazy of how many overrides people pay on their materials. So, it is. So we literally started a procurement firm and, uh, and now that thing's off to the races and, you know, we just keep on investing in my most recent thing. We just actually invested in a new data, um, uh, aggregation platform. Um, and we're continuing to invest in all kinds of different things. Um, you know, and it's just so serial entrepreneur, um, at the, you know, uh, very much so. Um, but my day job is I'm the CEO of Douglas Elliman, Texas. And, um, it took me, I got introduced to Howard um, through a um, one of our investors, a billion dollar family uh, that had their condominium for sale um, on Singer Island with uh, with Douglas Elliman. They made the introduction to Howard and it took me two years to get my deal done because I could never work for anybody else. I mean, being an entrepreneur, it's kind of hard to, you know, have a boss and, and you know, and, you know, you know, have the traditional um, politics of of a uh, big company. And so after two years, we got the deal done with Howard and it's his first joint venture. And, um, and so that way I kind of have, you know, a little bit more autonomy than that tradition than, you know, just being a salaried employee and it really has worked well. And so I'm very excited to be part of Douglas Elliman. I'm excited to have Howard Wilbur as a, as a business partner. 
Um, and, uh, and I'm excited to, you know, roll out everything we've been doing here in Houston. And now with the Douglas Elman platform, I'm able to roll it all out through the entire state of Texas. So that's amazing. That's, kind of, that's, that's what we're doing at the present moment. Way to seriously underachieve and be a disappointment, Jacob. Uh, yeah, I'm <laughs> going from lifting trucks to a billion dollar company with all of these other ventures. I mean, it's super, super impressive. And for all of you listening, this is why we want to have Jacob on today. We're about to talk about a topic that I think is really complicated. There's a lot of aspects to it. There's a lot of emotion to it. And it takes someone who's a serial entrepreneur who has built multiple companies and has a staff to really be able to answer some of these tough questions today. So today's topic is really about what it takes to be a wartime CEO. So what is a wartime CEO? What, what does that mean? A wartime CEO is a CEO who's in the thick of it right now. There's so much going on in the world. A wartime CEO is someone who comes to the table and really confronts these challenges and helps navigate their business through the very, very tough times. So Jacob, today we're going to be diving into this. This is an opportunity for us to speak openly, honestly, and give our audience and our listeners advice from people who've really been there, who've been in the mud, who've been in the thick of it, and how we can navigate this. So Ryan, let's get into it. Absolutely. So on, on all that you know, covered so far and, and the things that you mentioned, Aaron, which you know, it's, it's a lot to think about for anybody, let alone somebody who's in the position of leadership, given everything happening in the world. You know, even things like work from home, you know, diversity, you know, all the different things that happened last summer with the protests. And, you know, most CEOs have been thrust into wartime, whether they asked for it or not. Right. Sometimes you make a decision that puts you into wartime. Sometimes it happens to you. What advice would you give CEOs around leadership, given everything happening in the world right now? You know, there's. What what we've gone through um, over these past you know twelve to you know thirteen fourteen months, it's been a you know of course I do feel like it has been in essence especially several months ago it was feeling like wartime, you know I mean you've got a lot of issues you're dealing with um, and you're dealing with a lot of new issues that you've never had to deal with before. A pandemic opens up you know how some people have more fear of the pandemic than others. Some people, you know, from, you know, the way that they, they interpret, you know, um, the protocols that are now supposed to be, you know, enforced or not, um, you know, trying to check the liability that you might have as a, as a business owner um, and make sure that you're handling all of the, you know, the communication and, and the protocols properly, um, you know, because as a business owner, you're always thinking about liability. You're thinking about cash flow. You're thinking about, you know, your management of your, of your staff and your employees, um, but then also your clients at the same time. And not always do all of those interests align. And normally they don't, especially in a wartime situation. And so, you know, so the, so the idea is, is that it's, you know, to balance those, all of those components um, and your infrastructure, you know, um, because, you know, as, as, I think all of us realized in a in this period of time that um, our infrastructure and our businesses came crashing down um, with employees that, you know, if one got sick, then three got sick, then they all had to go home and, you know, and it just became, a you know, a, a you know, a domino effect. Um, and then, you know, there's a lot of services and, and, and things that, you know, resources that 
no longer existed. Um, and so everything took longer. Everything, you know, and, and of course, if everything takes longer, then your cash flow is, is impacted. And so, um, and then your clients, you know, um, you know, how to handle your clients and, and set expectations properly. So I think that a lot of how we, you know, I think that some of the biggest issues that came out of this or, or revelations um, was it was really about transparency. Um, I think as, as we, you know, I think that, that would be one, you know, major point is, you know, I think people, especially during this, I feel like people were a little bit more, you know, we were able to be blunt with them and said, Hey, this is, this is what's happening. This is how, this is, this is my solution that I, you know, that I believe will, will solve the problem. It's not going to solve it in the time that you, that you want it, but at least it solves the problem with a client or a deliverable that's necessary or, or meeting expectations and having to reset expectations. I think that that's, a, a very important thing um, during all of this. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second, actually, Jacob, because that's on my list as well. One of the things that I noticed with dealing with so many CEOs as they're navigating this whole process was transparency. And you said it really, really well. It's not just transparency with your staff or even sometimes with your customers about, say, cash flow. I think a lot of CEOs really had their cherry popped around, wow. I'm about to really be vulnerable with yep. people. I'm not used to being vulnerable with people around my money and talking to their staff. And now listen, here's the facts. Here's what we're bringing in. Here's how much our sales have dropped. Here's our budget. Here's what this is actually costing us to run this company. I know a lot of CEOs that have had a really open, honest conversation with their staff by saying, guys, do you know how much it costs to run this company? Let me tell you, here's how much rent is. Here's how much our staffing load is. And really started to share that information with everybody. And seeing that transparency wasn't a weakness, but it was a strength that actually had people rally behind that CEO. It, it bonded us. It bonded the folks together and it allowed everyone because, you know, they don't know what, what's going on and they never have really. And so it was the very first time that we were able to actually, we were very transparent with this was, was our cash flow. This now is our cash flow. And we started sharing month by month and week by week. Um, and we actually were able to show them that, hey, as once here's our, you know, if, if everyone wants, you know, to get back at 100% salaries, this is where we need to hit just to be able to break even. And so it was, and that was very helpful to be transparent with the staff. Not everybody, I will tell you very bluntly, not everybody cares. Um, so, I mean, uh, and I think that's one thing that really came out of it as well, is you got to see different type, uh, you, we got to see a different side of all of Yeah, wasn't that interesting reports. how that and, kind of transpired? Oh, it was unbelievable. It was unbelievably interesting, actually. And, and it was, you know, it was really, it was telling and it was really, um, you know, it, it was hurtful, you know, at some times, and it was also very uh, difficult to take in some instances. Um, but, you know, but everyone just, you know, but then others impressed you and, and made you just, you know, will remember them forever because of some of the actions and things they did. And so it's just, you know, and I will say that there were some really night and day differences between some of the reactions from some of the staff and managers. Um, but it was, it was in, at the end of the day, looking back, it was, a great experience to be able to truly see a different side of everybody. And it really makes you now, it actually helps us in the recruiting process today. When we hire new folks, we now, we are actually starting to dive into some of those questions and, and, 
and and try to find more folks that that are of the the type of of you know people that you want on your you know in your company part of your tribe part of your village and and it really and once you get those like-minded folks it, it's crazy how how much more successful you can be and so i think that that was a big win for us that's awesome i was going to say i'm super excited about this conversation i'm in lock step with you here in one of my companies that i sold we noticed in the pandemic that it brought the same thing there were certain people that really didn't care and almost use it as an excuse in their performance. And we had other people that were like, hey, what can I do? Do you need me to cut my hours? Do you need me to reduce dot, dot, dot? They were bringing ideas to the table. And it was really moving to see how some of our staff really pulled for us as a company. And also upsetting that some of our other staff were the polar opposite. Oh, that, that was quite interesting to see, actually, is how people reacted to the other employees and how their reactions and, they, and then, of course, a few of them tried to get together and tried to, you know, tried to all come and, and you know, get poison the well. Um, and I will say that we had um, that one of our groups and one of our departments of one of our companies, the, the sales company, um, I mean, it, it, it literally vacated an entire like four staff people in one department that really had us. We had to, in essence, completely start from scratch with that with that department. Um, but at the end of the day. It was, I feel like now we, it's even stronger, better. Um, it will be having better longevity. So, you know, and it's a, and it's a, you know, I'm getting a different type of work product out of that, that group now, because now we have a different type of um, ethos. We have a different type of, 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 of buy-in into the company and buy-in into the vision of the company. And, and, you know, so there's a different, you know, difference in that, um, now, going back, there are some people that had financial struggles, okay? And, and that is something that you can, that everybody can, um, can help in specific ways. But the people who I found to be the most, the ones that, that were the, the kind of the more frustrating ones were the ones that did not have the financial struggle, the ones that were making the most money in the company, and they were the ones with the least leniency um, and were giving them the most, you know, the, the, the most problems, and, and so that was really, that was really an eye opener. And some of the people who were making the least amount of money were the ones who really stepping up their game. And so it was, it was very eye opening and, and it was uh, great for us to see, but, um, but yes, we did furloughs, we did pay cuts. Um, you know, we did all these different things to, you know, at all of our different companies, um, to be able to survive and, um, and, you know, it's hard for some people to understand, you know, what type are they essential to the business or not. So some people got furloughed and others did not. And that was also hard. Some people took that personally or, or whatever that is. So you've got a lot of emotion. You've got a lot of, of um, just, you know, you know, reactions. And, and so you're just dealing with a lot of, of HR um, during, during a wartime you know, period of time. I so, even say too the tough conversations. I mean, what you're talking to here is for all of you CEOs who've been through this with us, you know that you've started to have more tough conversations in one week than you're used to having in an entire year. Oh yeah, or years. So, and and it was tough. I mean, and and you know, but 
ultimately, you know, you go through it and, you know, and it does make you a better CEO. I now feel I am so much better at hiring folks. I'm so much better at having, you know, more in-depth conversations. We, we are keeping some of these practices of, of transparency moving forward with our companies. Um, and it really empowers your, your teams in a different way that I never had expected before. And, and so it's that empowering that they, they see where things are going. And of course, how we've structured everybody is that, you know, it's, you know, as the company does better, they do better. And so there's, and, and you'll be surprised. Some of it is so minuscule in the big scheme of things, but it just makes them feel like they're part of the growth of the company. And as the company does better, they do better. And, and they just feel they buy into the company in a different way. And I never had, that was never a focus of mine in my past. And now it's 100% part of the, the way that we set up all of our employees and staff and managers. That's awesome. So as a synopsis to this question, what I'm really hearing, and I really agree with the sentiment is transparency is a must. Having those direct, honest, no bullshit conversations and really being able to speak directly and honestly with your staff, having those tough conversations. And then last, which we touched on, but really kind of expand on here is culture. I mean, we both agree here that during wartime, your focus as a CEO really has to amplify around developing that company culture, putting in those structures, getting those poison people out of the organization. Making sure you're really hiring for culture makes a huge, huge difference. Yes. It, it, it changes the entire dynamic. I mean, 110%. I mean, you don't realize how much of a difference can it, can it change. It really Not does. Work productivity, but it's just the way, you know, people feel in the office, the way that the people are, you know, um, doing their jobs, the quality of work, uh, you know, everything. I mean, it affects every aspect of your business is the culture. And, and, and my quality of life, I mean, as a CEO, your quality of life goes up, but when you have better culture and I will tell you in my past, I was never like, I'm, I'm a bull in a China store most of the time. And culture was not on the top of my list. Um, you know, it was going after deals, making deals happen, making money, um, you know, winning the business, um, and culture just always was kind of, you know, lingering it, you know, you know, after a lot of other things. And today, cultures in the top five and actually probably in the top three of the office. And now we really hire for culture. Um, and, you know, because, you know, my hiring process and interview process is so different than ever before. I love hearing and that. So it's yeah. just, it, it's, it's really, that is one major, major thing that just came out of this that, that uh, I really am excited about moving forward of, of how it's going to change uh, the company in, in the long term. That's great. Well, I'm disappointed that you gave such a short answer, but thank you for answering the question. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, what, what are some of the toughest conversations that CEOs are forced to have among all that? You know, like, like uh, this is really a two-part question, actually, now that I think of it. What are some of the toughest conversations CEOs are forced to have during wartime? And as a follow-up to that, how should CEOs navigate those conversations? Well, I think there's, um, look, I think there's different sides of this. I think you've got tough conversations with your clients, right? That, you know, about, you know, your work, you know, um, you know, the lack of, of success with a lot of things that are going on. Um, I think that you also have uh, financial stress, financial stress in, in this time period and, you know, cash flow is king 
And when your cash flow cuts off, you know, you have to interject money. Yes, PPP helped and all these other things helped, but on the same token, you're still negative cash flow. And yeah, most of us are still putting in our own cash. You're at some exactly point. right. And so we, I mean, it was a substantial, you know, cash infusions. And, um, and you know, of course, companies have their money, but of course, we're using it, we're, we're deploying it. And for me, with DE Texas, I had just launched. I mean, this was a startup. Oh, yeah. And you were in startup mode. I was there. Yeah. yeah. So it was a, you know, shock to the system. But so, you know, sometimes it's working out with your, with your, with your, um, you know, vendors. It's working out with your landlords, working out with all that. So that those are all other conversations on top of everything you're doing from an HR perspective with your employees. It's also working with your your people you owe money to, right? And and so it's also how do you control your budget? So a lot of things that you have to do is you have to look at all of your recurring expenses and you have to start really, is it a is it a have to or a want to? And so you have to start cutting as much as you can, as fast as you can. To be able to try to, you know, what is a have to versus a want to, and then and and it really starts to make you, you know, focus on the pennies, um, because you're whenever you're having to put your own cash in again, which you've already put cash into these companies, and now you're having to fund it more cash. Um, it's just one of those things that it's like, okay, what you know, you know, what are have tos? How do I how do I de- you know delay payments? How do I work things out? And and of course you have to pay what you have to pay. Um, but it were, it was a, you know, that's a, that's a dance. It's a, it's a, you know, strategy. It's a, all of those things. And it's not, it's not fun. It's not easy. Um, and, and some people are more giving and others are completely not. And so, so you're just having to work through some of that. Um, but at the end of the day, um, you know, you get, you get through it. And, um, and so it's just, you know, making sure that you, you know, are, are, and I think with that, I think a lot of vendors just want communication. I think most of them, you know, especially during this time period, um, were just saying, hey, let us know what you can pay when you can pay it. And just please live up to that. And, and, and Exactly. I think that's the point. I mean, a lot of it has to do with integrity. It's your honoring your word around what you say. And if your people are generally pretty great, other business owners get it. They're in the same shoes as you. So I think very much to your point, I think a lot of CEOs, especially young CEOs who haven't been through wartime before, they get very nervous to have these kind of conversations. They get embarrassed. Their ego gets in the way. They get embarrassed. They, they feel like they're going to look less, you know, less substantial or, or not, not strong enough in the marketplace or whatever it is. And the problem is, is that whenever you do that and you posture and you try to put on this front that you actually are fine and you're going to be able to pay them and you can't, and you keep telling them, I'm going to pay you by the end of the month, and you can't, it gets worse. Rather than just telling them, hey, I can pay you, I can pay you 25% at the end of the month, and I can pay you 25% every month. Now, they're not going to like that answer, but the thing is, is that by being blunt with them and telling them what that is, a lot of times they accept that, and they just ask for you to live to it, you know? And so it's really just, you know, you know, being blunt, living to that, and if you, for some reason, something else happens and you can't live to that, communicate it as soon as possible. Exactly. You guys all listening right now, Jacob is saying absolute gold. How many of us have been in that position where we can't pay a bill? You know, we're, we're behind, something happened, a customer paid us late. So now we're paying someone else late and we want to posture and we're nervous about how it's going to make us as the CEO look and how it's going to make our company look. And we want to front a little bit. 
It's not the way to go. Be vulnerable. Be honest. Be authentic. That is the stuff that builds character. You're going to build a lot more respect with your vendor. And then on the other side of this conversation, which Jacob also mentioned, Jacob, I would love for you to speak to this point too. When I'm working with my CEOs through wartime and I'm dealing with budgeting, I'm dealing with what is the company budget? What is the pared down or modified company budget? What do you have in reserves? What does your bare bones minimum budget look like? There's three different levels of budgets that we're considering. So we know when we hit bottom budget, everything gets cut. And so when you're dealing with your vendors and you're making promises, we need to make sure that those promises are showing up inside the budget or else we're going to fail those promises, which is going to destroy reputation. So having those budgets and making clear, clean promises that line up to that budget is absolutely paramount. Completely. And, and, and that's exactly what we did. We actually had our budgets for each company. We kind of had toggles um, and of sort of like phase one, two, three, four based off cash flow. And, you know, and so we could turn on other things or pay different things at different times. And so based off cash flow. And so really um, that those toggles allowed us, we kind of already preset what were the bare minimums we had to pay no matter what. And, and then what were the things that we could pay as more cash flow came in? And, and what was interesting is you all remember, I mean, you know, for at least in residential brokerage, I mean, all of a sudden it went high and we started making money again. And then all of a sudden it dropped down to nothing again because we had more outbreaks or whatever it was. And so things just, we got shut down again. And so, so there was just, and so it was nothing was consistent. And that is the hardest because you're having to live week by week. I remember, and sometimes in our, for the brokerage business and for our other businesses, they, the people had the right to terminate their contracts or they had the right to get out of their deals. I mean, we lost so many deals on the, on the resident, on the brokerage side. Um, I mean, I mean, millions of dollars in commissions we lost because the state of Texas came out with this addendum that allowed people to walk away from their, their purchase contracts by losing their earnest money. So on one of our penthouses, I mean, he walked away from half a million bucks and now, and I mean, and he was happy to do so. So, you know, but it just, it was one of those things that was um, hard to take and, but you just have to work around it. And, um, and so it's just, like I said, it's transparency. It's, it's having a plan understanding your budget and having kind of where's your bare bones budget, you know, and, you know, what do you still have to do just to keep the lights on and then be able to then have different phases as, as things come out. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's not fun. Um, but it also, but the way you handle yourself in those times uh, really shows about yourself. And I have to say, actually, some of the people, um, they like it whenever you come to them and kind of say, Hey, I need your help um, because of this is the situation they prefer to help you when you're when you are um, when you are you know um, being honest with them and telling them you know what really is going on rather than saying hey you know nothing's wrong and oh it, I'm fine and then I'm going to pay you you know I, I'll pay you by the end of the month and you're not able to do so and so a lot of a lot of folks would rather you just be honest with them and and, and try to put, make a plan that works for everybody. Yeah, participation is key, right? In, in all yep. things with that, for sure. It's a, coming to the table means everything. Yeah, so we're talking about tough conversations. I want to take it one other direction before we wrap up this question. And I want to talk about staff performance. I know for me, for a lot of the CEOs that I'm working with over the last year, year and a half of this pandemic, we're dealing with people working remotely. 
It's interesting. You know, it's, it's harder to keep an eye on your staff. People's performance has been all over the place. And, you know, it's a whole new world right now. Your kids aren't in school. You have your dog running through your Zoom meeting and the kids are screaming in the background. It's just been chaos for people. So how are you dealing with having tough conversations around one, people's performance, and two, just the fatigue and burnout of working remotely? You know, it's been, it's, it's true. Some people are much better at working at home than others. And it's very clear to see uh, the work performance and the kind of the output that they're able to do. Um, and, you know, and so for some folks, um, you know, we've had to say, you know, look, you're going to need to be in the office um, because it's just, you know, there is such a drop off. And most of the time they are, they realize it themselves as well. I mean, we've had many husbands, I will tell you that say, please ask me to come back into the office or my wife, you know, so I can get out of the house. Right. So, um, but yeah, it's actually kind of funny, but um, yeah. So I will say that it's, it's, it becomes, I mean, I will, because we also work on a project management software. So we're able to kind of have dashboards as of where people are on all of their tasks and, and everything else in the nature. And so we're able to really kind of see what is the, you know, you know, how are they kind of, you know, chewing down their tasks and how, and where are they on, on, their, on their scales of different things. And it was, it became very evident, very clear um, that, you know, some folks are just are set up for it and others are not. And so it's, so we just had those blunt conversations and, and, you know, it's just saying, hey, look, you know, we realize that you're having to work from home. We realize you have kids at home. You know, how can we work this out? And in some instances, we had to work out stuff with them and say, look, okay, you know, really, you're kind of working part time. Is that just what you want to do? Work part time? Is it, you know, what do you, how can we make this work? So, you know, if they're a good employee, you want to keep them. But in the same token, you, you're, you need to work something out with them. But being honest with them about the situation and just saying, look, and most of the time, the good employees were the ones who were saying, yeah, I know I can't get anything done. I can't concentrate, you know, whatever it is. And so it's really just saying, well, can you do you think you can come in the office for two days a week and you have to be home the rest or could you work half days or whatever it is? And so and of course, there were instances where it just did not work. Right. It just it's not going to work. They're too their COVID is, is too much of a scare for them. They can't be productive. It's just not a it's not a fit at the moment. And, and, you know, those are hard conversations to have as well. And, you know, I'm afraid for everyone's company for wage. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I mean, I mean, how many employees came and went? Yeah, that's a good segue to, you know, we talked about vendors and payments and being able to survive with keeping the lights on and stuff like that. But we talk about what other kinds of things change about the finances of a business during wartime and what advice would you give a CEO or business owner, you know, in, in that situation about the, the larger finance changes, like, all kinds of things beyond just paying bills, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, you've got to be looking and, you know, at so many different aspects of this. Um, You've got to be looking at your revenue sources, right? And you've got to be looking at, you know, how are you making your money? And are you, are are those going to be hindered for quite some time longer? Um, Do you have your lines of credit or do you have um, other sources of capital to be able to get to, or do you, are you just a high net worth guy that you can fund your company no matter what? Um, you know, and I'm not, you know, you know, I make great money and we do well, but I don't have a hundred million dollars in the bank myself. Um, and these companies are not cheap to run. And a lot of those credit sources were drying up. There were banks pulling credit lines left and right. hundred percent. And so it's really important that you have the ability and you kind of set yourself up to where you know where you can go um, if you need to, 
And, and so, you know, for me, I, you know, I was, I had a liquidity event before all of this, which was great. And, and I had other things that were coming in and other cash flows. So it was, I was actually, you know, timing is everything. And I was just, it was beautiful um, that I'd not have that kind of stress. Um, but I do know many of my other friends and, and colleagues and other businesses that, that did go through a lot of that. And I was able to help out some of them, um, you know, and it's really just sourcing that. But it's really important that everybody, you know, that you sort of have a backup financial plan because you don't want your business to just to shut down, right? Um, so the idea is, is sometimes you have to, you know, pay a lot of money for it. Sometimes it's, it's expensive, but it's worth it. And and so, and a lot of those guys that are that are willing to do that are guys that will maybe take it on the backside or say, hey, look, you can pay me over time, you know, that what you know, or look, I'll fund this and then, you know, but you've got to have some of that, you've got to have kind of a backup capital source. Um, and I, and, you know, I have one right now just in case, you know, the world comes to an end again for, you know, six months and I don't want everything just to go to, you know, to, to, to go out the window. So you've got to have those kind of things. I think that's a really huge point. A really good wartime CEO is a CEO who really has thought through their finances. They have existing reserves in their company. I mean, I can't tell you how many companies I've interacted with in the last year, year and a half. When I see their PL and I see their balance sheet, I realize they might have about yeah. a month of reserves set aside. And then you start asking them the tough questions like, okay, well, what if something were to happen? Or what if we're trying to expand quickly? What are other sources of capital do you have access to? And they're like, well, I have a credit card. No, that's the problem. We watched so many CEOs get hammered over the last year when they got thrown into wartime. They have no experience about what it takes to be a wartime CEO in the domain of finances, how to ask for it, how to get your hands on capital, what are the different kinds of capital you should have access to. And how to structure and how to structure the deal to get that capital. So I think that that's a big deal is how do you structure it, right? I mean, you I mean no you're a master of this, Jacob. I know you, you have a lot of facility here. <laughs> well, you know, and I think that, you know, there's a lot of ways to do it, right? I mean, you know, we've, I mean, there's, you can get a capital infusion, you can do a preference rate of return, you can have that 100% accrue, you can pay it over, you know, you know, after, after 12 months, you can then, I mean, there's, there's different ways. I mean, I mean, selling a piece of your business is always the last resort. Um, but, but the idea though, is that if you can have the right to buy it back at a 12%, you know, you know, you know, you know, pref, you know, that goes on that money or yeah, preferred return that then, then you're able to get that, you know, buy it back. I mean, there's all kinds of ways of skinning the cat just so you can get through it. Right. And, and, and so I think it's just knowing what are some different ways to, to structure it and who are those guys that are in the marketplace that I can go to, to get that done if I have to. And, and so, um, and I remember and when I was in Corpus Christi, I had a moment in that time that I was in that, I had that moment where I had to go to one of those guys. Um, and, you know, it was not cheap, you know, but I got through it. I learned, I paid it and it was great. And now I'm just in a, in a different type of position uh, financially, but it was really, it's one of those things that you just need to understand how to structure it, who to go to and, 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 and understanding that. But I, I will say that I think that most business owners I know do not have that source or do not have an idea of how to structure it if something came up like that. 
because most people that I do know that they don't have, well, no one expected a, a year of a pandemic or, you know, or some of these major things that we've, that we've occurred. I mean, here in Texas, we had the Stormageddon and I mean, and that shut us down for a whole week. And so, I mean, just even most of these businesses, I mean, without cash flow for a week, it really hurts you. So it's just, you know, so it's just time and time again, there's things that are affecting cash flow. And so that's why, you know, I, I, we're investing in many different things that have their, you know, alternative cash flows. Um, you know, real estate has cash flow and, and, but when people are not paying the rent, <laughs> you don't have that cash flow. Um, and uh, so, I mean, there are, I don't think anyone has really, you know, it was tough to, for anybody to, to think about how everyone would stop paying on everything. Um, but that's why you have to have these backup plans and, 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 you know, it's important that you think about that and have a, and have a path uh, forward for that. Absolutely. I think just to sum up this question, the two different things that I recommend that all CEOs have is very much like what Jacob said, really have a finance plan, have your three budgets, your regular budget, your conservative budget, and your bare bones budget, have that all figured out ahead of time. And then also your capital sources, have that figured out. Who are they? How are you going to structure the deals? Work all that out ahead of time, even though you may never have to use this. And then second, the other side of the coin, which is revenue. Make sure your business has multiple sources of revenue. I think a lot of people, especially during the pandemic, got really creative. And we all started to find new ways of making money. And some revenue streams got diminished, but other revenue streams really grew and actually became really fruitful. So part of having a very good plan as a wartime CEO is knowing if stuff hits the fan, how are you going to adjust from a revenue perspective? How are we going to adjust on the budget side of things? And that mashup, the revenue streams plus the budget, that mashup really helps you survive. And I would also say that you need to be able to make decisions and make them quickly um, and wartime and be able to pivot very quickly. And I think that, so we did much better than most other companies in all of our different companies because we made decisions and we pivoted very quickly before others, even before others did. Oh my gosh. So I have that on my notes too. It's so true. And I'm really glad you brought this back up because I didn't want to forget it. I saw so many CEOs that this is their first time being in wartime and they, they kind of froze. They were like, this will pass. They did. And they didn't make any changes. They didn't change their course of business. They didn't, they didn't reduce overhead. They didn't change, you know, people. They just froze. Yeah. They got slaughtered. They wasted tens of thousands of dollars that they could have cut instantly. Or millions. I mean. Yeah. Or millions. Yeah. I even noticed that as well, just with all the people in my sphere, it very quickly became two buckets of people. There were people who identified it as an opportunity, as insensitive as that felt and sounded at the time. It was just, you know. If we're going to survive, if we're going to continue to provide for ourselves and the people around us, we have to pivot quickly and keep going forward. And there were a lot yep. of people who went into wait and see mode. That's that's another euphemism for froze, you know, but there were a lot of people who were of the mindset that it was going to go back to normal very quickly. And you just never know. You and and never you don't. Know. And I will tell you, when we we pivoted very quickly, because um, we at least we interpreted it, read the writing on the wall that this was not going to be just a short term thing. And, and so, you know, and we got, you know, our, you know, some, some people threw some mud in our face, mainly, I mean, a couple of clients did, and especially the staff, you know, the, you know, some of the staff people are like, look, we don't even, I mean, like, you know, why are you furloughing us so quickly? Or why are you, you know, why are you doing this and all that? 
But now you look back and it was the, I mean, those were right decisions. It was, and that's the hard part, I think, is we have to make a CEO's very tough decisions. And, you know, we're responsible for the health of the organization and we're responsible for the health and, and, and the well-being. And, and, and at the end of the day, sometimes you have to cut off a limb. Sometimes you have to be able to do whatever it takes to keep the body alive. And, and so, you know, and especially if you know that you can grow that limb back, you know, it, it, it makes it sometimes easier, at least from an overall conceptual side of things. But you still have the emotional part. You still have the, you know, you feel for these people. You really care about these people because they're part of your organization. But and, and many times, you know, well, with unemployment, some of our people were making more unemployment than they were being as employees. So, you know, so it's just making like we actually sat down with every person and, and we're like, OK, do you have a plan? Let us help you with a plan. Let us help you apply for unemployment. Let us help you do these things. And, and that really went a long way with a lot of our folks. Um, but I think that, you know, we did get, you know, moving, you know, pivoting quickly was part of our success and, um, and where we were able to truly um, conserve capital um, and really be able to, you know, not have the huge cash infusions that, were, that uh, many of our competitors had to do. Well said, very well said. So uh, the, f- the final question here kind of coming around the bend is, when it comes to being a wartime CEO, of course, it's extremely challenging, of course, especially if it's the first time, right? Aaron, you used a euphemism for that earlier in the episode. The amount of pressure that is on you to, quote unquote, save the company while providing stability of, and, you know, and remaining stoic, you know, often having to fire staff, you know, like a furlough staff, you know, financial cuts that need to be made. We've covered a lot of that stuff. You know, what do you have for CEOs in the way of advice for managing the stress and the pressure that just comes with the territory? Well, one thing is I, I start working out even harder and, uh, and in the morning. So I, I go to the gym every day at five o'clock or five thirty, And uh, and so it's just like, you know, I ended up gaining a lot of weight. But, you know, but I got not fat. I actually got bigger because that was my way to relieve stress. Right. So it was it was a major deal for me of, of just kind of starting weightlift in a much and heavier way because it just, it was awesome. So you have to have something that you can relieve stress that way. Of course, in my opinion, it could be, you know, a sport or something of that nature. Um, also, I have to tell you, dealing with the stress, so the stress level gets, you've got stress and you've got anxiety, but you also have the work-life balance where your family also sees this from you. They feel this from your side. And you're also having the, you know, you're also having to, and I, I will tell you, like we delayed building our next big house um, you know, by a year because we didn't know how long this was going to go for, or, or like, you know, what, what is, what's going to happen. And, and so, you know, you kind of put a lot of personal things on pause too. You don't know how much money you're going to have to fund in the company. You don't know how long it's going to last. So, you know, even from the personal side of things, you need to put some things on pause until, until you at least understand how long, or, you know, what this runway looks like and how long this thing's going to be. So, so you're, you're managing all of these things all at once and it really, I think the, the, you know, the thing from our perspective or the way that I think from managing that stress is you just have to take one thing at a time. Um, but for me, I had to lay it all out. And every day I had to lay out what were my priorities for the day, that day in the very beginning and make sure at least I tried to accomplish those three to four things. Because at the end of the day, you've got a hundred things you should be doing every day, but you really have three to four major things you have to get done. Um, and, and so, and so I made sure that I understood that on a daily basis so that I got those three or four major items accomplished. And of course, with one item, there's probably 10 or 15 steps, 
But the thing is, is that we, you know, working those through and making sure that you get those accomplished is very important. And, and don't let all the noise. There's a ton of noise that, that hits you in these instances. And, and you've got to be able to, you know, you've got to be able to take a step back. You've got to understand where people are coming from. You can't take things personally. And that's very hard. It's very easy to say, but hard to do. Um, and so you just, you've got to kind of, you know, think of yourself and continue to say, look, you know, you know, taking medicine does not always taste great, but at the end of the day, you're, you're there to save the body, you know, it's there to, to, you know, to, to save the body and to save the company. And, and it's, it's tough on you. I mean, it, there's, it's not an easy path and, and truly the hardest part are the people, your people are by far the hardest part. Um, the cash flow, you can manage it. You can talk, you can, you can work your way through it. You can borrow money. You can do all these things. That's actually not as bad as dealing with your, your people, people who have helped you build the company, people who have been with you for years, people who, who, you know, that they're in, 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 you know, hardships, you know, they're in, they're in worse shapes than you. They don't make near the money you do. And, and so it's just one of the things that it's very hard. That's the, the, the emotional, um, toll. Um, with your folks is the by hard by far the hardest the hardest aspect of this, and that's what makes such a great CEO, right? Is that you're able to endure that thick skinness and kind of process that emotion that sometimes that, that guilt and that worry that comes with the territory. I think sometimes I would even add, and I'd, Jacob, I'd love your two cents on this. Is with a lot of CEOs, obviously, you know, I'm I'm their advisor. I have, I create a safe space for them that we can talk. There's no judgment. There's no evaluation. I can really help them strategize. So I think having an advisor on your team makes a huge difference as a CEO, but also having a peer group. And Jacob, I know you shared that you have a, you know, a set of advisors that you interact with, but I think having that peer group is paramount for wartime CEOs. 100% because you learn so much. Oh, you handled it that way. Oh, what about this way? Or you did this and, and you're able to bounce ideas off of them. And what's What's, what you find is everybody's going through the same. Everybody I is. Mean, everybody. There's nothing that's that unique. No. And, and so you're able to see things from different perspectives. You're able to hear different ways they, they were, they attempted it. I don't think anybody had a silver bullet of, you know, of having it done the exact right way. Um, none of us had experienced anything like this. And so it was just great to hear different ideas of how they handled different situations. And I, you know, I picked and pulled from different, different, you know, folks around me. And it was great. And so, you know, actually, I have to say, it's really funny. My gym crew in the morning, it's a very, um, it, it's a, a lot of CEOs, a lot of, you know, um, you know, people in the business community. And, and so a lot of times it was just conversation in the gym got me thinking about different things, you know, and it was just, you know, the chitter chatter in there about, hey, what about this? And what about that? And what if, how did you handle this? And, and, oh, well, we did this. And another guy says, well, we did that. And so it's just, it's just having that, but then also, I have a mentor and, and going to him and talking to him, I've got my peer group. I mean, all of those things really make it, make a difference. And, you know, my mentor of course, is the one who really has got me on from a cash flow perspective and make sure that we have those, those resources uh, to be able to, you know, back me up. And when you know that you have a, how do I say a backup plan financially um, and yeah, it's expensive. Yeah. You don't want to do it. You're going to work your ass off not to make that happen, but you know, you have that, that parachute if you have to have it, um, it, that makes a huge difference in your stress level. And, and, and then you can really spend more time focusing on the HR side of things and, and, a, and your decision-making, you make better decisions. You real hundred percent you do. 
And so I think everyone has to have, and look, pulling that, that parachute cord is damn expensive, but, um, but you know what? You need to have it. And, and sometimes it's people that are in your same industry that are just more, you know, have been there longer and have more cash flow or, or more liquidity. And so a lot of times it's just making sure that you've got that parachute that if it, you have to pull it, you can always pull it. Are you, are you a skydiver, Jacob? Uh, yes, I actually am. <laughs> sure. You know, that doesn't surprise me. So you're using that reference. So casually, are you, are you normally a, a risk taker, a risk, a thrill seeker kind of person? I am. I am. So is that, is that to you tie into why you might be so uniquely suited to navigate these high pressure situations? Something tells me that's not a coincidence. <laughs> well, I enjoy it. I mean, I, I find, um, I like the challenge. I, I will say that, um, you know, I like the challenge from, a Business-wise, I actually always think, um, I always remember the story of the San Francisco earthquake and the fires that broke out afterwards and how you know, all the safes had, had, had um, been sealed shut because of the fire. And only oh, there was only one bank that actually moved their money out of town after the earthquake before the fires hit. And, and so they were the only bank that was able to actually give people money and lend, and that's now Bank of America. And it was all because of how in a bad situation, they were thoughtful and they made a decision against everybody else's and they, and they came out of it ahead. And so I find myself um, in these kind of situations, at least from a business perspective, um, you know, I like the idea of finding new ways of doing my business, more efficient ways, more you know, in, integrating more technology or integrating more systems and processes and and, and, and changing things to adapt to the current uh, market conditions. And I really like that component of it. So, so would you say that that's an important quality in any CEO is that that kind of the natural passion and instinct to rise to the occasion and to adapt on the fly? 100%. I think that that is, I mean, I mean one thing that's, that's consistent is change. And, and I think that change is happening um, more often than ever in the past and our industries, no matter what industry you're in, it's changing, it's changing quickly. And, and so I think that for all of us, we have to, um, position ourselves and be in a mindset that we have to be able to pivot. We have to be able to be creative, finding alternative ways of doing our businesses, um, and, and being able to just be able to take advantage. And when we find an opportunity, seize on it. And, and go forward. And yes, you're going to make mistakes. Yes, you're going to drop balls. Yes, you're going to waste some money. Yes, you're going to do things. But at the end of the day, ultimately, if you don't do those things, you're going to fail or you're not going to be as successful as you should have been or could have been. And so that's really where, you know, it's really charging forward. And um, Right. And your decision yeah, making. I bet 100%. you make better decisions. And, and I think that that's really, like I said, the hardest part of the employees and the HR components of this, for me at least, um, you know, I can navigate the, the change of the, of the, you know, the, the, you know, the environment, um, I can navigate the financial side of things. Um, and, you know, cause it's all about just strategy and how you work it out. Um, but, you know, being a CEO, you've got a lot of different hats. You've got a lot of different, you know, interests from, you know, from all the folks involved in your, in your world, you know, you're from your clients to your, your, your staff, your finances, your, you know, right. everything, your family. Um, and it's really just for you to be able to, you know, balance all of that and be able to manage it. And, um, and of course you're going to have to put things on the back burner and people are going to scream and they're going to holler and they're going to say, you know, why haven't you returned my phone call or how, why have you done this? Um, but in the same token, you've got to focus on what you need to be doing to move that ball forward in the right direction. 
And I've always, I always say, focus on dollar productive activities, delegate as much as you can, you know, really get out there and make sure that you are focused on what you need to be focused on that day, because the noise will suck you in and it will suck you in so fast. And if you don't control, um, you know, where you're spending your time and what you're focused on that day, you're going to be lost and you'll be, and you'll be caught in the chaos and, and especially more time, the chaos is, is, is consuming. And I mean, and so it's really important that you, that you stay on track of the track that you know, that's going to make you successful. Well, I mean, that's, that's, if that isn't a a five course meal of wisdom from somebody who's been through it all, I don't know what is, um, Aaron, this was not only an incredible, incredible build episode, but what a fitting example of what it means to be a Titans episode. You know, Jacob, I, I can't thank you enough for everything that you've shared with us. And as we kind of close here to wrap the show, um, where can people find you if they wanted to get in touch? Do you have any causes that you're supporting and want to shout out or plug or anywhere on social you want people to connect with you? Um, you easily can find me on social, just Jacob Sudoff. I'm the only Jacob Sudoff in the world. So, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but the, I will say that, you know, I'm, you know, with Douglas Elliman, um, you know, so always on there as well. You know, there's a lot of causes that we are involved in. Um, we actually have Elliman Cares. Um, we have a, a nonprofit we have set up that, you know, that we contribute, match our agents on money. And, and we also have all of our companies donate to the nonprofit. Then we then, you know, sponsor all kinds of different things uh, in Texas. And right now it's only been focused on Houston. Now, as we roll out through the state of Texas, we're going to be starting to do things throughout the state. But it's, you know, it's really important that, um, you know, that you get back and that, uh, and for my husband and I, it's very important that we really lay the groundwork for our kids um, and that we, and that, you know, people know that this is, you know, that look, we're here for only a certain amount of time. It's really important that we, that we really, um, focus on, you know, kind of the, the overall picture of life. And, and I think, you know, giving back and the people around you are, you know, it's what, what life is all about and family at the end of the day is the most important. What a beautiful sentiment to end the episode. Aaron, wasn't that nice? I love that. And we can put all of Jacob's contact information and all the nonprofits and charities into the show notes so you guys can find it there. Absolutely. Anybody looking to make sure they're supporting somebody who cares about these issues, um, you know, that's, we'll make sure that information is all available to you. So with that, Jacob Sudoff from Douglas Elliman, Texas, thank you so much for joining us today on the Build a Fine Method podcast. And Aaron Keith, our host, thank you so much always for putting this together and for having this incredible network of relationships that you can bring such high quality guests to the show uh, that I'm honored to co-host with you. I want to thank everybody in our audience for listening today. Please make sure to check the show notes for the details we talked about. Make sure to follow us on Apple iTunes and to leave us a review. Subscribe. Make sure you give us a five star. It helps everybody find us. It helps the algorithm make sure the show is exposed to as many entrepreneurs and like-minded business owners just like you to help us expand the community and to help people find and take advantage of the content and the conversations we're trying to share with the community. Uh, make sure to follow the Buildify method and Buildify systems on Instagram. And we look forward to talking to you soon, everybody. Thank you so much for listening.